All right, well, after two weeks of being on the job, I was almost fired. Why? Because when people would call in, I would sell them exactly what they asked for. Which doesn't sound too bad, unless you're working for Dell Computers, <laughs> when my boss would listen into my the phone calls. Kids, I don't know how this ever worked, but back in the day, people would call companies and order computers over the phone, <laughs> which sounds just like lunacy today. <laughs> like, I can't see what you're building? I get it. Okay. But that's how it worked. People would call in, and so my boss would say, what did you do wrong after I was on watch? And I'd say, I don't know, that felt like a success story. The person called in, they said, I want ink. I sold ink. I made a sale. And they're like, <laughs> my boss said, no, Slim. They didn't want ink. They wanted ink to go in their new printer that went along with their brand new laptop with a four-year warranty and virus protection. That's what they wanted. And I saw what I had to become, and I went, ugh. At the same time, there was uh, these daily um, team meetings where at the beginning of the day, we looked back at yesterday's standings uh, of how everyone fared in our 15-person team, and everyone on that team was brand new. This was the freshman group. And in that freshman group, there was one man named Chad. As you might expect, like every Chad you've ever met, he's cocky, he's arrogant, he's smug. Where are Chads? Do we have, I know we have one in here, but is he here? <laughs> no one wants to put their hand up. It's Chadwick. <laughs> okay, but this Chad came off and, and, and he was literally trying to tell everyone how to do the job when he came in at the exact same time as me. And he's like, hey, guys, you know what you need to do? And we're like, oh, gosh. Now, granted, he was selling 15 computers a day, and I was just happy <laughs> to sell ink. <laughs> and if I made a sale, I came home and told Kristen, I sold a computer. <laughs> he's selling 15 computers a day, so he might have something to say. But he, his, his advice to us was, Guys, it's, it's all about volume. Don't waste time with people who aren't going to buy. Get off the phone quick. And I was like, oh, I hate this so much. I hate it so much. And then he was like, another day he'd say something like, hey, guys, did you see how good my sales were? I mean, it has very much like a Ron Burgundy vibe here. Like, everyone see how good I look, right? Like, now, I don't hate anyone, but I did not like this dude. Um, I mean, he went, the, the, the cockiness, the arrogance, it was just so unnerving. And, and I don't know whether it was the fear of losing my job that pushed me, or it was that I just wanted to humiliate Chad. But I went from last in our little group, last <laughs> in our call center, last in the company of Dell with fear of being fired in the, in the next couple days, to being not just the best in that group, not just the top of our call center, but I won salesman of the year at Dell Computers 
to where they, they drove me down to Austin. They had me introduced to all the big wigs. They're like, how do you do it? And then, and then what they did, they said, you need to go coach Chad. And I was like, yes. Oh, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Let me tell you how it's done, Chad. I know you're selling a mere 15 computers a day. At this point, I was selling 30 a day. One time I sold 42, and I was just killing it. And so, like, all of my dreams of world domination were coming true. <laughs> Except I hated myself. I hated myself. I, I was having nightmares about these phone calls in the middle of the night. I hated who I had become. I didn't like it. And what, what brought to the pinnacle, what made me reveal how bad it was, was when my grandmother got my direct number, called in and said, hey, Ryan, I want, real name's Ryan. I, <laughs> split personality. Uh, I want to buy a computer. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. I was like, I'll give you whatever you want, whatever you want. I was like, I am not upselling my grandmother. She wouldn't let, let me do it. She's like, I know you, I know you want to max this out. And I'm like, nope, nope. She maxed it out. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And I I've still to this day am like, I'm done. I, 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 that was the end of my time at Dell. I could not get out of Dell fast enough at that point. Because I was like, this is gross. This is not who I want to be. I became a worse Chad, right? And so today, we are going to talk about something that is probably the most dangerous sin um, ever. The medieval church said this was the sin that all of their sins come out of. This sin is one that is going to destroy you and everyone around you, and it's the sin of pride. Pride. And so for today, our, our title for the sermon today is, These Hands Are Rated E for Everyone. Uh, that is a credit to Malcolm for that title there. <laughs> because throughout this passage, as you might have heard, is the refrain, his hand is still upraised. Constantly saying that. His hand is still upraised against the proud. And so today, we're going to throw hands. Uh, we're going to look at the proud, the arrogant, and the humble. So we're going to look at the proud, the arrogant, and the humble. The proud. Let me give you a 10-second recap if this is maybe your first or second Sunday here. God's people have been, have been divided uh, into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And, and, and the northern kingdom um, is, is trying to betray the southern kingdom, trying to go against their brothers and sisters to stab them in the back um, and link up with another nation to depose the current king of the southern nation. But God would have none of that. And so God sends Assyria against those betrayers, the traitors, the north Israel, uh, to take them out. But Israel... The traitors don't really seem to be understanding that's what's happening to them, right? And so here, here's, here's, here's where we come to our passage here. In verse 9, it says, talking about uh, Israel, those who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. And so what they're saying is, our walls have just caved in, but like a good politician saying, it's no big deal. Because we're going to build back better or something like that. They probably had some type of phrase that they, they campaigned on in that way. And so they were, they were saying, it's not a big deal that our walls are come crumbling down. We're going to build back better. And then the fig trees have been felled, but we replace them with cedars. Thank you. 
not yet, but thank you. Now, <laughs> now, <laughs> this is the ultimate, this is fine moment. Because they're, they're in the midst of the fire. Everything is going around them, going bad. And they're going, it's okay, this is fine, right? But why are they saying that everything is fine in this moment? Because they can't even entertain the idea that they might actually fall. They can't even entertain the idea that they're being the ones who are going to fall. Like, God's people, how could God's people fall, is how they thought. And that's how pride works. Pride gives you an overinflated sense of your own superiority. That there is no way you could fall. No way that you could be wrong. Nothing can stop us. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Like that's how they believe. That pride looks at all the things, all the good things in life and says, I earned it. I earned that. I've worked for it. It's mine. There's that type of pride that we have here. And if you want to find what's the easiest way to see uh, how prideful your, your heart might be, ask yourself, how bad do you feel when someone doesn't recognize you? When someone maybe looks over you and looks over your accomplishments? Maybe someone doesn't draw their attention to you when they walk into the room. When someone might snub you. Do you, does that, does that infuriate you? Was it pride that drove me against Chad? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That I was at the bottom and this guy was at the top. It was pride that drove me. And so pride says, I got this. Everyone say that with me. I got this. You've said this before, right? For whatever it may be, you're like, I got it. I got it, Right? Uh, I don't know about you, um, if, if I'm ever asked to carry one thing from one room to the next, <laughs> I, for some reason, try to find how few of trips I have to take. <laughs> so let's clean up all the plates and the cups. Okay, 10 plates, but I also got to get the cups it's so that I stack the cups up. <laughs> and you're doing this number where you're, you're balancing, and then my wife will say something like, do you got it? Oh, I got it. I got it. And then a gust of wind comes, <laughs> or you trip on the Lego, or whatever it may be, and I don't got it, right? If you've ever been moving before, uh, if, you go, if, if I ever help you move, I want to find out how, many, how little of trips I have to make. And so if I pick up a box, it's not just like, oh, let's just kill the clock. Not at all. I want to see how many boxes I can take. And so you might think, okay, so maybe two. <laughs> Two is a minimum. <laughs> I'm thinking three, and you might say, well, you probably will stop if you can't see around the boxes. That's not a problem for me. I try to get three, maybe four, and if you can balance it, you know where things are at. You're like, okay, I know there's a step here, right? There's things that you can do. I got this. Uh, one time when I, when I was helping someone move last year, um, they had me help them move a piano, and I said, I got this with the straps and everything. I was like, I may not need the straps, but okay, I'll do it. And I threw up my back. <laughs> I don't got it. Uh, let's all say I don't got it. I don't got it. Right? That, that is what we all need to hear. <laughs> that I don't got it. Because there are some times when our pride is going to lead us to something very, very painful like throwing your back out. Or something very, very worse. Because pride, I think, is the most dangerous sin there is. Not just a danger to you, but then now you become a danger to the people around you. And that is what is happening 
to the people of Israel here. The people of Israel are becoming a danger to the people around there. In verse 19, it says, They will not spare one another. On the right they will devour, but still be hungry. On the left they will eat, but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. It's become a dog-eat-dog world in Israel. I win means you lose is how the life works out there. When, when everyone is only looking out for themselves, it becomes survival of the fittest. Right? But it's, it's, it's not just survival of the fittest. The game is actually rigged. And the game has been rigged for many, many years against those most vulnerable. Against those who are oppressed, the game is rigged. In chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights. Whew. This is a modern-day <laughs> call, right? Now, I don't know if we have any lawmakers in this church. I could be wrong, but listen up if so. Um, <laughs> but, but we can see how leaders... From this passage, we can see how leaders are addicted to that never satiated hunger for power. Like, if, if they can get away with it, they will. Like, if, 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 the, people can get, if the people don't uproar, they're going to do what they can do to steal and even rob, not just from one another, but to rob from the poor. So they're going to get away with whatever they can get away with. And so what... This passage is telling us, is yes, the leaders are ultimately responsible for, the, for what's happened here. But those who follow are not completely left off the hook. Back in chapter 9, verse 14, it says, So the Lord will cut off Israel both head and tail. And while God uh, holds elders and judges and prophets all responsible for misleading the people, those who follow cannot claim innocence. Because there is... There is this unhealthy codependency that tends to happen between corrupt leaders and corrupt people. Now, that's not always the case, right? You can have a corrupt leader who's oppressing those people. But there is many times that there is also corrupt people who are making way, making allowance for that corrupt leader, not speaking up when that leader does something wrong and evil, tolerating it, platforming them, we can see this in, in, in government, we can see this in church, we can see this in our, in our own lives, in our own workplace, right? And so God says in verse 17, everyone, not just the leaders, everyone is ungodly and wicked. Every mouth speaks folly. And yet for all of this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And so that's the proud. But now let's talk about the arrogant. You might be saying, what's the difference? What's the difference between the proud and the arrogant? Um, well, let me give you this example. We're in uh, World Cup season. Anyone here like to watch the World Cup? Yeah. Do you guys know the final is on on a Sunday morning? <laughs> so we'll just have it playing on one screen while we'll talk. <laughs> Malcolm says no. Okay. We'll have an emergency elder meeting on that one. <laughs> uh, but let's say you are the, the star player playing in the World Cup, and you kick the very last shot to win the game. Now, in that moment, pride says, I did it. I won the game. 
and, and, and that's absolutely true. I, I, I won it. I did it. You know, right? Pride says I, I, I worked for it. I earned it. Arrogance is an excessive, overbearing form of pride. Pride says, I did it. I owed this. Arrogance says, you're not. Pride says, I earned it. I worked for it. Arrogance says, I'm better than you. And so, arrogance would say, my team is useless. My, my team wouldn't even be in the World Cup if it wasn't for me. Like, without them, y'all are nothing. That's, that's arrogance. It's, a, it's an extreme form of pride. And so, although Israel was prideful, Assyria is much, much worse, right? Uh, and, and Assyria takes it to another level. In verse 5, uh, we were introduced to them. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation, Israel, who's been called a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me. And so God sends Assyria, the, the evil empire of the day, against his own people, he's using Assyria as a tool to root out the rot in his own people that's just infested them. And yet, what we learn from this passage and today is that Assyria is not innocent in what they've done. So God is using them to do it, and yet they're not innocent in doing that. And so I can feel probably a, a certain objection that might come here. Like, how could God, one, use a pagan nation like this to do his work, but then, two, how could he fault them for doing the tasks that he just asked them to do? Good question. That I think we have woefully inadequate answers for this side of heaven. <laughs> but let me just give you, well, there'll be a lot of questions we're going to ask Jesus when we get to heaven. Tell me more about that. But let me just give you two quick responses here. Um, one, Assyria doesn't know that they're a tool. Assyria is just being Assyria. Assyria is just going after their sinful imperial ambitions. Verse 7 tells us that they're simply after world domination. They're after just obliterating everyone else. And so that's what they're after. That's, that's their sole goal. They don't see themselves as a tool. And so all of that, we can say, is evil, is wrong, and so they can be condemned. But two... God can use what this passage reveals to us. God can use the evil in this world for good. He's not making the evil happen, but he can use what was already here for good. That's a whole other sermon that I want to give at some point. That's a side point here. We'll go into you know, another time here. But praise the Lord that he can make good from that evil. Now, to get a picture of the unchecked arrogance of Assyria... Here comes the king in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Are not my commanders all kings? What he's trying to say is, Of all these territories that I've just overtaken, the, the, the people who were kings of their land are now reporting to me, they're my commanders. And if those were kings and now they're my commanders, now I'm the king of kings. I'm the king of all these kings, which makes me God. Like, what's higher than a king? So this is Assyria, right? This is, this is not just pride. This is arrogance. That I am God of all of this. And you can see how that downfall might come at, at some point here. 
Um, that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, who saw himself as that. That's what a modern-day version Saddam Hussein saw himself as. Um, and so the king brags in verse 11, Shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? What he's saying is, I've ransacked all these other nations, and their gods reveal themselves to be nothing. If, if I took them down, of course I can take this podunk town that's out in the middle of nowhere down. And if I took down Marduk and Hadad and Baal, then clearly Yahweh's nothing. Yahweh just was easily taken down. I took down his city means I took down God. And so the temptation is to drink the Kool-Aid of your own hype. Everyone understand that? <laughs> right? We all have that temptation to believe all of those good things that everyone says about us. And so he's believing the hype here. In verse 14, the evil king is saying, I've gathered all these countries like eggs and not one flapped to chirp. Not, no, one, no one can touch me. And Kyle Rouse in our uh, meeting earlier this week pointed out to me that um, we actually have a record of the king in this time making these claims on, on the stone tablet. Uh, I think we have an image up here. Yeah. Um, is there? Yeah. Yeah, so we have, we have, we have the record here of this, this king. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce his name right. Sennacherib. Yes. I got the nod from Malcolm. Sennacherib uh, was the king at this time. And he's going, against, he's going against King Hezekiah. And so in it, he says, as for him, Hezekiah, I confined him inside the city of Jerusalem, his royal city, like a bird in a cage. And you can see how this king sees himself, how much better he sees himself than the, than the Jerusalem king. I just think it's cool to see how history confirms what the Bible is talking about. Um, but maybe at this point, you might say something. Maybe you're very uh, skeptical. And you might say something like, but why is pride bad? Like, it seemed to work out for this king. He became king of the universe, basically. Pride seemed to work out for you. You got a trophy for <laughs> taking over Dell, <laughs> right? It seems to be a good thing to be prideful, to win the World Cup. That seems to be a, a, a good thing. But let me just tell you this. If you know someone who is that way, and I know you do, if you know someone who is who's utterly prideful, they're some of the most miserable people we know. Why? Because our, our, our human soul wasn't meant to be prideful. We weren't meant to live that way. And so it, when, when you are prideful, like it, it, it is going to not just hurt your back, right? It's not just going to hurt your back when you're, when you're trying to say, I got it. It's not just going to hurt you physically. It, 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 yes, it will be a danger to others, as we saw in the oppression that happens in the social injustice, but it also comes back around you. The, it ricochets back around on you, and now you become some of the least empathetic person you've ever met, because if you're prideful, then what, you can't even consider how someone else is feeling at that moment. If you're prideful, it's going to kill your joy, because joy is going to be a response to something good that's been given to you. But if you're prideful, then you've earned it. Of course someone recognized my work. Of course they say I'm the best in, at, at whatever I'm doing. Because I earned it. It's going to kill that. It's going to kill your joy. It's going to kill your peace. Oh, it's going to rob you of peace. This is what brought me up at night having nightmares. Because if it was all up to me, if it's all up to me to make those sales... And I'm thinking of all the things I need to continue doing. And some of you might be in that position right now where you are just robbed of peace because you feel like everything is hinging upon you and relying on you. And if you don't do it, everything's going to come crumbling down. 
And that's because we're believing it's all contingent upon us. Pride is going to kill that peace and it's going to destroy our soul. So, the message of this sermon is that these hands are rated E for everyone. The prideful don't win out in the end. Assyria is not going to get away with it. Whoever that Assyria is to you, who you see as super prideful, and it seems like they're succeeding, they're not going to get away with it. Verse 12, when the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. And then God goes on to mock the king of Assyria. In verse 15, he says, does the axe raise itself against the person who owns it? Oh, I love it. I mean, <laughs> If you're a teenager, you add to this part, get wrecked, right? Like, this is, <laughs> this is what God just said to the king here. <laughs> like, you're a tool. Are you going to come against me? Are you kidding me? Like, God just owns him in this way. It's, you have power because I've wielded you that way. And it's at this point, you might be tempted to worry, is this just how everyone is? Is everyone only out for themselves? Is everyone only going to inflate their own pride and become that way? And is God's anger just going to continue to burn against every single human being here on earth who lives in that world of pride? And I want to say, we come to our third point here, is a very few that actually escape that, and that's the remnant. And so we come to this last point, the humble. And so verse 20, in that day... The remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, who no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. There is, there is a remnant, which just means a, a, only a few survive. Only a few are spared from this addiction to pride, this addiction to self. But that, but that remnant becomes a community with immense power. Like that, that community that, that forms, that remnant that forms becomes this immense power because pride latches your loyalty to leaders, even ones that might lead you walking off of a cliff. And because you are so committed to, I've made the commitment to them, I'm going to follow them regardless, pride latches you to that. And the only thing that's going to wake you up from your trance of your pride is to see a leader who's going to go off the cliff for you. And to say, I'm going to create a whole new community that's not built around building yourselves up. It's not built around pride, but it's built around humility. And that's what, that's what this leader does. That's what this leader forms. Jesus forms this community. And the, the, the New Testament has these churches, and they're messed up. They are some messed up churches that Paul is criticizing all over the place. But they are built around something else, not themselves. They're built around Jesus. And so... It helps us to understand certain passages now. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if you're not in that remnant community, you might say, oh, wow, I can't believe God is opposing anyone. I thought he was supposed to love everyone. But if you're from that remnant community, you can say, no, there's actually something beautiful happening in this passage here. You can see that this opposition, God opposes the proud, is actually a grace. It's actually gracious for God to oppose the proud, to rid us of our dangerous addiction to self, and then to give grace to the humble, to give grace, love, and mercy to those who don't deserve it. It says to the humble, or it could be to those who've been humbled. 
And I don't know about you, but I really click with people who've been humbled. I've really, I really find a connection with someone who's had their pride ripped away from them. Who's able to see that it's, they're, not, they're not where they are in life because of what they did, but because of what some other people else have done. They're able to see what's going on in their lives. They're able to see the brokenness in the world, but also the brokenness in themselves. And so I was to ask you this morning, have you been humbled? Until you are humbled, you will only see everything in life as something that you've earned and that you've worked for, and that's called pride. But humility, humility says it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Everything that's been given to me has been a gift. If you're that soccer player, the fact that you can run is a gift. That you've been given legs that can run is a gift. That you have a competent coach that you have teammates who know how to space, who've, who've passed you the ball in the right spot to score the goal. It's not, oh, I own this, this team, I own this game, it's because of me. You're able to say, no, it's because of all the people around me. And it doesn't just work in the soccer realm. <laughs> this is in, in all of our realms, that everything has been a gift. Being able to see the privileges that God has given me, it's a good, good thing. So that when, when someone does give you a praise or an, an adoration, you can go, thank you. You can appreciate the good thing that's happening, but then you can also go with gratefulness of heart. It's because of all that God has done in my life. And you're able to come off thankful and not prideful, grateful and not self-serving. And so humility is looking at a mosaic and saying, I'm a piece of the mosaic. I'm just a piece on that mosaic. I'm not the whole thing. I'm just a piece of it. But it's also, it's also not saying, sometimes we think of humility, we think, I'm nothing. I'm not even on that mosaic. Then there's a hole where, where that piece should be in that mosaic. Now, that's a different form of pride, actually. No, no, no. Humility is able to say, I'm just a piece of the mosaic, and I have a remnant community where I can lock arms with and remind me of that truth. And that's what we need for one another, to remind us of that truth. Like, I need you to do this. And the, I think the best picture of this type of humility that's, that's exemplified for us is in, is in our very own book in Philippians here with Jesus, where he says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the... the the one person who is truly able to say, all these kings are my commanders, who's able to say, I am the king of kings, I am the master of the universe, I am God, that one person at this time, at Christmas, could have come to this earth and said, bow down, world. He could have rightfully said that, but that's not what he did. He came in the most vulnerable way ever. He came in the form of a baby. Like he had to depend upon his mother. He had to have other people help him to feed him. It's, it's such a reversal of what we think of as true power. Like we don't understand this type of power. We think accumulate power and he gives it away. He gives it away because he's only thinking of you and not of himself here. Like that's, that's a real power right there. And so you see, pride is the ultimate enemy of both nations and individuals, 
Of course, no nation is God. The nation may be a tool in the arms of God, but it's only a tool. And so this, this means that the Lord is coming against all oppressors, especially those who claim his name in their oppression. And so no nation is God's nation. They're just a tool. America is not a city on the hill. We're not a Christian nation. Heck, we might be Assyria. But we would do well to humble ourselves and deflate our own sense of superiority. And to be humbled, if you're at this point of saying, yes, I want to be humbled, the way to do that, the Bible teaches, this passage teaches us one really important practice to become humble. And it's something I'm really terrible at. My wife would tell you I'm really, really bad at this. <laughs> it's the importance of memory. I have a terrible memory. I forget things all the time. But I think we all do. Which is why it's so critical for us to come together and to remind one another of these truths. And so God reminds his people how do you get this humility? Let me remind you of the great deliverances that you've experienced. When I, when I saved you out of, out, of the, out of Pharaoh's hands, when I saved you from all these oppressors, how he saved them time and time again, if God can deliver you from those mighty powers, he can deliver you from Assyria as well. And so if God ha- can, you think of your own story, if God has delivered you from whatever you have gone through in life, of course he can handle what you're going through right now, right? Like Every ruler, every king is only a tool in God's hands. And so Putin is a tool. Biden is a tool. Trump is a tool. Like we can say that thing happily, funnily, uh, but we're going to say it <laughs> because God is at work. He's more powerful than any of these forces that are, that are ruling over us. Like you may not be able to see it, but God is at work. God is at work overwhelming and overriding the evil that's here on this earth. And so I want to tell you this morning to remember God's victories. Remember what God has done. And I want you to just remember, I want you to tell that story. Tell the old story of how God has delivered you. And so that we don't succumb to the spiritual Alzheimer's disease that we all tend to get. And let's recount the ways God has intervened, he's provided for, he's guided, and he's sustained our lives. And honestly, that's all we do here at Mosaic. We get here and we try to remind ourselves of what God has done. This is what this meal is that we come to. We try to remind ourselves what Jesus has done for us because, honestly, we forget it so quickly. It comes in one ear and out the other ear so quickly, so quickly. We don't know what God has done for us. And so let's remind one another to do that. This is why we don't tell you to read your Bible so you're a good Christian. We we read to remind We read the scriptures to remind us of what God has done for us, these beautiful deliverances. And so when our spiritual memory is intact, then our spiritual identity is intact. And so let me give you a quick, three quick so what's, so you know what to do. Everyone wants that (laughs) as you come out this door. Uh, First, I want you to say, I don't got it, and then ask for help. Find some way to say that this week. When you're feeling the sense of pride, I want you to say, I don't got it, and ask for help. What better way to get rid of the pride <laughs> to ask for help? Uh, the second one is to brag. That sounds like a hard thing to do, to, do, to get rid of your pride. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you is we are so easily bragging on ourselves and, and turning stories towards us. I want you to find someone maybe today to brag on 
to someone else. Uh, what a great thing it is. It takes your, your focus off of yourself, puts it on someone else, and then you, you encourage that person, saying what great things they bring to the table. And so brag on that person. And then three, tell a story of God's work. Tell a story of how God has worked in your life. Not just to that person you're talking to, it's a benefit, because we need to hear that, but also to remind yourself, because you tend to forget of all that God has done in your life and what he's going to continue to do. Let me pray for us.